we must allow the Lord to build the home. Otherwise, we're building in vain. And to build a Christian family, just like building any building, there must be a solid foundation. And so he said, first of all, a Christian home, and I'm emphasizing a Christian home now, not just a home, but a Christian home. It must be built according to the divine blueprint. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. That means, first of all, that his foundation stones must meet divine specification. Under that, we saw that that meant that these foundation stones must be male and female. Secondly, they must be living stones. In other words, they must be people who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Again, I want to remind you, we're talking about building a Christian home. Then we also saw that the foundation stones must be permanently joined together. This has to do with the fact that when God unites uh, two people in marriage, they become one flesh. And that one flesh cannot be separated. We're going to spend some time in that when we talk about what the one flesh concept really means, why uh, if we understand the one concept, why we believe that the Bible nowhere teaches uh, that the divorce in any way breaks the marriage bond, uh, only death. But they must be permanently joined together. I want to remind you, whenever I come to that, I always need to remind you that we are speaking here about principles or ideals, if you want. But we know that sin has come in and has caused all of these to be turned upside down. And we'll be presenting several messages on how the devil has come in and caused a distortion to take place in the blueprint that God has given. And therefore, uh, we tend to use our own materials rather than the materials God provides. And how do we correct that? We'll be talking about that. But right now, we're looking at the principles as laid out by God. This is what he wants to take place. But we always keep, have to keep in mind that something happened that was called a fall. And so it ruined, in a sense, God's plan. It marred it anyway. And we're going to talk about how that can be put back together. Uh, now we come to our fourth point in this. And this is that the foundation stones must bear the particular load or stress for which they were designed by God. Remember, we have the concept of a building. And we're saying here now that these foundation stones that are um, necessary to build a Christian home, that God has designed it in such a way that these stones, a male and a female, a husband and wife, have been designed to take a particular load in this building that is being erected. That means that the male has to bear his load and the wife has to bear her load. The wife cannot bear the husband's load and expect the home to be built right. The husband cannot bear the wife's load and expect the house to be built right. There must be a, a balance where each person is bearing the load that God has put upon them. This has to do with what we call roles and marriages. Roles and marriages. For instance... The Bible is very clear that the husband is to be the head manager of the home. They say the head manager. In Ephesians 5, it says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. That's the overall principle. The man is to be the head. He bears the major stress in building of the home. Now, we are going to be developing this later on to go into the details of exactly what this means. But let me just give you a few of the implications of this. First of all, as head, by the way, let me interject this as well. A man is not the head of the home because he is of a uh, superior nature or that he is better than the woman or that he earned it. No, he's head of the home because that's the way God appointed it. It's a divine design, you understand? So a man cannot boast in his headship. You see, he could thank God for it, but not boast in because he had nothing to do with it. It is God's design. And we'll see that when we get into 1 Corinthians 11 and so on later on. But as head, the man is responsible for the direction of the home, for providing for resources for the home to be built correctly, and also for the results that takes place in the home. In other words, final accountability and authority in the home rests with him. When we do marital counseling, sometimes a man would come in and he says, is that woman there? She is the reason for all the problem. She's the cause for it. And I look at him and say, that may be true. If she is the cause, you're still responsible for putting it right. You see, no matter who is the cause for the problems or difficulties in the home, the man is responsible for putting it right. The buck starts, stops with the man. The scriptures are very clear on that. But now you see, when we get to talk about the fall, we're going to see that's one of the first things that the man abandoned was the sense of accountability. You remember when God came to him and he says, well, yeah, he's looking for him. Adam, Adam, where are you? I'm hiding in the bushes. Why? Because I was naked and I hid myself. I was ashamed and I hid. The Lord says, who told you? You remember? And then it goes on and we have the judgment. We have the, 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 the judgment for disobedience. And Adam said, God uh, pinpointed the, the, the sin. He said, is the woman that you gave me. See, what was he doing? He was running away from his responsibility. He wasn't accepting accountability as head of his wife. And that is the result of sin. That's the result of the fall. And one of the biggest problems in homes is the failure of men to take the responsibility in the home and to realize that they, not their wives, are responsible for building the home and getting it right for the glory of God. So as head, he's responsible for direction, resources, and results. He, therefore, has final accountability as well as authority in the home. And we're going to be talking about this in detail. But secondly, as manager, he's head, as manager, the man is responsible for the procedures, the policies, and the performance in the home. That's right. He is responsible. Now, it doesn't mean that he does it all alone. We're going to talk about that later when we see the cooperation of the, of the male and the female. But again, we're only looking at the biblical principles. The man is responsible 
for discipline in the home. And that doesn't mean he has to be the one who always spanks the kids. But he should be the one who determines why a kid should be spanked, why he should be spanked, and how many times he or she should be spanked. You understand what I'm saying? He is responsible for setting the rules. You see, it's done this idea of, uh, uh, you know, when a, when a, when a, a kid or one of, one of the children behaves rudely and the husband's very, the mother says, you wait till your daddy come home. He can give it to you. No, she should give it to him, but she should be doing it with the understanding of the policies and everything that was laid down before. Otherwise, you're going to find the children taking advantage, you see. But the point is he's responsible for the policies the, uh, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, the policies, the procedures, and the performance in the home. This comes out of as delegating responsibilities in the home, even to the wife, as well as to the children. The Bible holds the man responsible for the direction of the home in all of these areas. In the area of discipline, the area of worship. You take the children to, uh, to, to church, and uh, the way they dress, the places they go, that's not just the sole responsibility of the wife as it is in so many homes, Christian homes today. And the male has the idea that all his responsibility is is go out and get the bread. You see. Or the day we say bacon too, I guess. But that's not all. That's a part of it. But that's not his major or only responsibility. He is responsible for setting the procedures, the policies and performance in the home as manager, and the word is used in the New Testament, the man that the head, the husband is the manager of the home. In fact, none of us as pastors or deacons should hold a position if you're not managing our home well. Isn't that right? That shows you the importance of the family and its impact upon the church. If the family is not in order, the husband is responsible. And if he is not handling it responsibility, he should not be given a position of headship in the church. Boom. If he does, he's going to bring the same lack of responsibility in the church as he has in his home. It just comes all the way down. You see. And so managing plays a very important role in the Christian home. And the, manage, and the, and the man is responsible for that as head. He's also a nourisher, according to, first, according to Ephesians 5. He is to nourish his wife. He is to nourish his wife. And that means he is responsible for the physical and temporal needs of his wife and family. We are the nourishers of our family. As far as our wife is concerned, we are responsible for supplying the emotional nourishment for our wives. We talk a lot today about self-esteem. In fact, I think we talk too much about it sometimes. But the major source, the primary source for self-esteem of a wife should be a husband. Not from anyone else. Not from friends, not from mothers, not from grandmothers, not from brothers and sisters, but from her husband. A husband should be relating to her in such a way that she knows that as far as he's concerned, she is the most important woman in his life. And that she is the woman that he can boast, and he said it in a good sense, to others about. He must nourish her emotionally. And we'll be 
having a, a couple of messages just on that aspect. But he's also responsible for providing for her as far as uh, physical nourishment is concerned, not only emotional, but physical. In other words, he's the breadwinner of the home. Now today, in many of our families, that's turned upside down. You see, and that's another reason why the, the homes are in such a disarray today, because of the fact, I'm talking about Christians now, because of the fact that we're not following the biblical pattern. You see, he's responsible for the emotional nourishment, the physical nourishment, as well as the spiritual. When we get to talk about Ephesians 5, you'll see that the husband is the head of the wife and the nourisher of the wife the same way Jesus Christ is head and nourisher of the church. And what is Jesus Christ doing to the church? Jesus Christ right now is nourishing the church. And he is equipping and preparing the church to be the perfect bride, to be a spotless bride without spot, without blemish. That's what he's doing to us, his bride-to-be. That's what he's doing. And he tells us in Ephesians 5, that is also what the husband is to be doing for the wife right now. The husband is responsible for helping that woman to be the woman of God that God wants her to be. That isn't to be left to the pastor. That isn't to be left to the Bible classes. That isn't to be left to women, women's meetings. Now, those things are good. But the primary person who's responsible for the spiritual nourishment of his wife is the husband. This is the truth that transformed my own life. There's no doubt about that. Three major things, a spiritual truth that transformed my life as, as, as I became a, a, a young man and so on. And this was one of them right here. When I really realized what this passage of Scripture was teaching in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wife. But it doesn't stop there, does it? As Christ love the church and gave himself up for her. In other words, it's a sacrificial love. That means my wife comes before me. I should be willing always to lay my life down. In fact, I tell the folk that when I do premarital counseling, when you say I do, you did. And they say, what do you mean by that? I say, when you say I do, you, you meant that you have already committed your life to this woman. You've given her your life, and you are her sole protector right now. And all of your efforts and everything you do is to be centered and focused on making this woman to be what God wants her to be. Otherwise, we're not living up to the standards that God has set for us. You said that's a strong one, yeah? And especially when we see the impact of sin that causes us to be concerned about our own selves. We become selfish and we want my needs to be met. And unless my wife is meeting my needs, I certainly am not going to meet her need. That's not love. You see, he's, kind of, he's talking about here. Again, this is God's ideal for us. He's head, he's manager, he's nourisher. Now, here's the basic principle then. You heard it before. The basic principle is this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's the basic principle. And man, if we could get this and apply this to our lives practically, it could transform your life. You see, that's why I tell my wife just about every day. I say, I have one reason for living other than the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, and that's you. 
I says, my major way of glorifying God is not serving down at Calvary Bible Church. My major way of glorifying God is helping you to be the woman that God wants you to be. You see? And that's the kind of commitment that Scripture calls for. Now, we could bring up all kinds. Well, you don't know that woman, boy, not my woman. I don't care what kind of woman you got. God still holds you responsible for feeding into this woman's life and helping her to become the woman that God wants. As I said now, sin has ended in, and we're going to see the impact of that later on. But this is what God has for us. But secondly now, it is true that the husband is the head manager of the home, but the wife is assistant manager. Helpmate. We're going to spend some time in describing what helpmate means. Unfortunately, even in, even in Christian circles, uh, some men have the idea that helpmate means domestic. My wife is my domestic, my servant. You see, and she's there to uh, wash my clothes, cook my food. When I come home, take off my shoes, give me some cold drinks so I could sit before the TV. That's not what a helpmate is. A helpmate is a person who gives to the man that which he needs but cannot supply himself. Get it now. A helpmate is a person who provides for the man what he needs but he cannot supply himself. Look at the text. We will do that later on. That's exactly how God had it set up. You see, God himself calls himself the helpmate of Israel. In which context? In the context when they were being attacked by the enemy and they could not help themselves and they couldn't find anyone to help them. And God says, I am your helpmate. I provide the help that no one else can. And therefore, man, that's why we must see our wives as being so important, so vital for us. That's why we should protect them. That's why we should pamper them. That's why we should take care of them. That's why we should love them as Christ loved the church, because they're important for us as well, you see. The wife is assistant manager home. She provides help that we need, but we cannot provide ourselves. She is to voluntarily submit to a husband's position of headship. Now, it's important for us to understand this concept of submission. This submission is a divinely delegated role. In other words, this is not something that a man can force a woman to do. You cannot force anyone to be submissive. If you force anyone to be submissive, you're actually subjugating them. And there's a difference between subjugation and submission. In Scripture, submission is always something that is voluntarily and starts from within, not from without. You don't beat it into anybody. It has to come out from within, from within the heart. That's the whole idea. And so if you force a woman to be submissive, you're not really making her submissive. You're actually demonstrating the fact that you're still living under the curse. Why? Because a part of the curse was that the man was going to try to hold on to his headship by dominating the woman. Scripture says, the woman shall uh, desire you, Remember that? He says, um, even though uh, there'll be pain in childbearing, yet her desire will be for a husband. 
That desire has to do with headship, not a sexual desire. And we'll look at that as well later on. And then he says, nevertheless, he will rule over you. Right? Genesis 2, Genesis 3. And that word for rule is a strong, powerful, intensive word. It's the idea of someone taking the heel and holding it to the neck of an animal in order to subdue it. And that came about as a result of Adam's sin. And so every man who tries to control his wife in that fashion in showing that he has never been redeemed, or if he has, he isn't allowing the redemptive work of Jesus Christ to work in his life. He's still under the curse. Whenever that happens, he's still under the curse. And the same way the man has been divinely delegated as head, the woman has been divinely delegated to be submissive. And this is a wonderful, it's a beautiful word. And we're going to spend some time in trying to describe this. This is one of the most beautiful words in Scripture. The son is submissive to the father. The spirit is submissive to the son and the father. The church is supposed to be submissive to the church, to, 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 the, to Jesus Christ ahead. And when that is done, a wonder... You see, we're going to see as we go along that the, the purpose for marriage is to show what God is like. The Trinity, the triune God. And one of the beautiful dynamics within the Trinity is submission to one another. And when a husband and wife reflects the headship and the submission concepts the way it's given in the Bible, we reflect what God is like in His nature. Who He is like. It's a beautiful concept. That's why marriage is so wonderful, so beautiful, and it's set up according to the Word of God. When we set up our marriage according to the Word of God, marriage is the most wonderful relationship in the world. It's heaven on earth. But you try to build it according to your own resources, it could be hell on earth. You see. But it's a beautiful thing, and we're going to describe the essence of marriage as we go on in our series. So this submission is based on an inner attitude of obedience to Christ. When you read Ephesians, you'll see that when the woman is submissive to the man, really she's showing her submission to Jesus Christ. That's the key here. She is to love him according to Titus 2.4. She is to respect him according to Ephesians 5.33. She is to love the children. Now this is what the wife is supposed to be doing in the home. She is to be... Level-headed as a wife and mother. The word there is sober. She must be sober. She is to be pure and chaste as a wife. She is to be a homekeeper. The word in Titus 2.5 is a protector of the home. That's why when we hear this phrase that the man, the home is, how does it go? The home is a man's castle. Isn't that something like that? Is that right? The home is the man's, that's not true, not biblically. Biblically. The home is the woman's castle. Biblically, when you, read, when you read Timothy, the home is the place where the woman shines. The home is the place when she is truly fulfilled because it's there with her husband and the children that she is able to put into full practice, to full effect, everything that God has made her to be as a woman in the home. I always like to tell the story with my wife before I... I learned these truths here about how important the home. I used to like to tell, you know, what kind of carpet I can wear. I mean, put, not wear, put it on the floor. What color paint I can put on the wall. Because, you know, we used to decorate. That was my business before. And then I started to learn about this truth. 
And then I stopped fighting about colors because my wife liked purple. She wanted purple carpet, purple drapes, purple... I say, no, man, not purple, what? No, wait, you go to my house now? Everything purple. I, I even wear a purple shirt. I never thought I'd do that. Why? Because I learned the truth here that my wife, she finds total fulfillment and a sense of completion and satisfaction in the home. That's why she should have total freedom to do what she wants in that home. You see? And that's, that's vitally important for us to see as the husband here. She is the guardian protector of the home, and that's the Greek word in Titus 2.5. She is to be an example to other women, according to Titus 2.3. She is to be a teacher and encourager of younger women, Titus 2.3 and Titus 2.5 again. And this is another concept we've lost here. We have very few women who try to teach younger women how to love their husbands and how to love their children. And that's what... I was going to say older women, but I might get shot. That's what mature women should be doing. You see? Teaching the younger women how to love. That's right. We can teach, or you can teach, other women how to love. How to love their husbands. And how to love their children. You see? Remember we started a ministry like this up in the Racine Bible Church with the pastor. And we went to Titus 2. And um, we had about 35 women, and I was the teacher. And for about two years, we went through that passage, equipping women how to teach younger women. And some amazing stories came out of that, you see. I tried to get it going here, but a couple of things run in the way. We, we work with that. All the women likewise, this is Titus 2.3. All the women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, not enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good so that they may encourage the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, to be pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands. Why? So that the word of God will not be dishonored. All of this we've been talking about as far as the woman's role is concerned is to be done so that the word of God might be uplifted and honored by those who see our homes and our relationship. It's a beautiful thing here. And God didn't just write this because he had nothing else to do. This is something that he wants us to follow. But I don't think we pay much attention to it. Not the way we should. We allow other things to come in. Psychology, TV, Hollywood, and all that kind of stuff shapes our home more than the Word of God. You see? So the basic principle here is the same. The basic principle is, wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. But thirdly, the building blocks, the things that we put on the foundation, must enhance the foundation stones. We're talking about children now. We do this very quickly. Children. Because it's a mother and a father and the children who makes up the home when God opens the womb for the family to have children. Remember? It is God who opens and closes the womb. We're going to get into uh, con contraceptives and family planning and all of that. And I know some people can get mad at me. In fact, you know, let me warn you right now. Whenever I teach about the family, we got some people who leave the church. It's true. I don't think it's, don't think it's ever happened. And this, this hasn't happened. When I preach about divorce, 
because of what we believe about, you get people leave. When I teach about women and we believe that the women are supposed to be concerned about their home, the children more than they are for outside, and they should be there, people leave the home, the people leave the church. So it might happen again. So that means I shouldn't preach it? No, I'm going to preach it because it's in the Word, you see. And I believe it's important for us to do that. Children are to obey. Now that's the same, to voluntarily submit to their parents. Why? It's very clear. It's right. You see, God has set up his creation in such a way that there's an order. It's just a right way about doing things. And when you don't do it, it's wrong. Discipline is part of that, by the way. Discipline is simply to show that, hey, God has an order to things. To, to things. And when you don't follow it, problems are going to happen. And discipline is trying to get it back instead. But today, man alive. My daughter, we were talking about it today, where she is in the school. She says, there's so much evidence now that the parents don't teach their children to obey them. What you have now is parents obeying children. That's what you have, parents obeying. And then we wonder why it is that our community, our society is in such a terrible shape. It's because we're turning the teaching of the word upside down when it comes to the family. The woman wants to rule. The children wants to teach or, or to tell their parents what to do and so on. And they don't want to accept discipline. And so you have what you have. And it's only the Christians who are bold enough and committed enough to the word of God to draw upon the resources through the Spirit of God to put these, practices, these principles into practice that can change the tide. And I think it can. Uh, they are to honor their parents, Ephesians 6. And this is the only, and Paul says this is the only, this is the only uh, command that has a promise to it. And it's two of them. One, the first is a good life, if you want to have a good life. Now that's one thing uh, young people don't believe. They just believe the opposite. If I obey my parents, man, I can have a terrible life. That's not what the Word of God says. It says you'll have a good life. Not only that, now the principle comes over. I know initially it was written to the children of Israel and enjoying the land, but the principle comes, he says that you'll live long. I can tell you many stories of young people who have, who have died because they didn't listen to the parents. Don't go with that fellow. He drinks. Don't go in that car. Oh, mom, that's all right. That's all right. No, that's okay. Oh, he's on drugs. No, 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 that's all right. You go in the car, get in the car, sin, finish. You see? And we can tell you story after story of young people who have either lost the quality of life or lost their life to self simply because they didn't obey their parents. Now, this is, of course, is assuming that the parents are teaching them the things that are right. And we'll deal with that as well. You see? It's tough for young people because they feel like the parents don't know nothing about the day's life. No, no, nothing about what's going on out there, you know. Uh, but I was looking at, a, uh, I was looking at a, an article the other day about the kind of music uh, that our young people are exposed to today. And I, think, I, I just don't know how it's even allow it to be done, to be played on the radio. But our kids, they're listening to it, and that's all they're buying. And we're wondering where they're getting these things from. You never heard that in this house. You're right. But they're hearing it through the CDs and the iPods that you buy for them. Or you give them money to buy. 
or you don't have enough of, the, of, of direction in their lives to say they cannot do it. You see, the basic principle here: children are to be obedient to the parents in all things, for this is well pleasing to the Lord. Let's close out just with a personal application. I want you to select you. I hope you have it outlined. Uh, we did give you one last time. We asked you to bring it tonight. Otherwise, you can follow on the screen. I want you to select the appropriate response and make it your prayerful determination to accomplish with God's help as a member of your family. First, as a husband, will you say that I will evaluate my role, especially my attitude and actions toward my wife? I will do all I can with God's help to make submission a two-way street, but without abdicating my role as head of my household. This has to do with your attitude now towards your wife. As a father, will you say that I will evaluate my role, especially my attitude and behavior toward my children? I will do all I can with God's help not to exasperate or discourage them. One other uh, version says to break their spirits, but rather to bring them up in the nurture and instruction of the Lord. And as we go on, we're going to be dealing with discipline and what it means to break the spirit of a young person. As a wife, will you say that I will evaluate my role, especially my attitude and behavior toward my husband? I will, with God help, God's help, attempt to be Christ-like in all that I do, lovingly submitting to my husband's headship as unto the Lord. And then as a child or a young person, or if you are a single adult at home, will you say that you will evaluate your role, especially your attitude and your behavior toward your parents, and that you will do all you can with God's help to respect, honor, and obey them. These are the kind of commitments we need to make as parents and as children if we're going to build a Christian home. Sila, think and act on these things. Bow with me. Take a few moments again, perhaps to solidify any commitment you have made or would like to make to the Lord just before we close out. And I'm going to ask Pastor Wendy Fowler if he'd close for us in just a few seconds. But take a few moments of quietness and anything that you'd like to commit as this time allows.